You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Black Man with the Gun Show. This is episode 383, and this week we're going to talk about some queer open carry stuff. Race riots. I got a giveaway for you. And some news. Have you heard about Chuck Norris? Mm-hmm. All this and more coming up next. Blackmanwithagun.com Ken Blanchard's Pro-Gun Podcast. And I'm Ken Blanchard, and thank you for joining me this week. Got some crazy stuff on the, on the list this morning. As I head out to go fishing with the old guys today. After John Wayne leads us in the Pledge of Allegiance, let's get on with episode number 383. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. This listener-supported show is also brought to you by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hey, one of the strangest things that happened this week was somebody reported that Chuck Norris had died. Yeah, for real. That was like on the internet for a hot second and folks were going for it. You know, the Chuck Norris. Born Carlos Ray Norris, American martial artist and actor. Served in the U.S. Air Force. Born March 10th, 1940. Can you believe that Brother Chuck is 74 years old? He's been in 23 motion pictures. And his uh, show... Walker, Texas Ranger, ran for like eight and a half years with 203 episodes. He's got more Chuck jokes. I mean, he's a phenomenon by himself. He made his uh, mark as a martial arts teacher and six-time undefeated world professional middleweight karate champion. And he's just a cool guy. And that's what happened. Today in the news, um, somebody actually thought that he died, and he didn't. Chuck is just too cool for that. Just in case you heard that, I want to make sure you knew the difference. Also in the news, hey, if you haven't noticed, there are a lot of guns in the store right now. Yeah. Federal licensed dealers have a lot of unsold inventory. Laws have changed, especially here in Maryland, so it slowed up a little bit. Plus, everybody's gotten everything they can afford for right now, and the distributors are packed, too. They got warehouses full of guns. They can't move. It's a trickle effect. But they're still cranking out rifles and firearms like a big dog. It's just everything is uh, saturated right now, so there's, like, deals going on. You might be able to buy a pistol or rifle that you couldn't get, like, a year ago if you got any money now. There's so much stuff out there that uh, a lot of factories are laying off workers now. So the industry's in a funky place. Yeah, it is. So if you think your mood is bad, you're not by yourself. And one last piece. America's largest shotgun manufacturer shifts and moves to Texas. Yeah, Mossberg and Sons decided not to expand in Connecticut. Yeah, it was founded there in 1919, and it's going to still have its corporate headquarters in North Haven, Connecticut. 
but in 2013, because Connecticut rushed through some legislation, it's going to be banning some of Mossberg's popular products. So as a result, Mossberg CEO Ivor Mossberg says investing in Texas was a no-brainer. It's a state that is no not only committed to economic growth, but it also honors and respects the Second Amendment and the firearm freedoms it guarantees for our customers. Mossberg has instead expanded its Maverick Arms, Inc. facility in Eagle Pass, Texas, with 116,000 new square feet of factory space. Now, Mossberg is not no small gun manufacturer. According to the records kept by the BATFE, Mossberg made 475,364 guns in America in 2011. And of those guns, a total of 423,570 were shotguns made for sportsmen, for shotgun sports enthusiasts, for law enforcement, and for people who want a shotgun for self-defense. Ain't that something? Mossberg is America's oldest family-owned and operated firearms manufacturer. It's also the largest pump-action shotgun manufacturer in the world. So Texas Governor Rick Perry has been aggressively coaxing them to bring even more jobs to Texas. And he won. He worked. So good on you guys. And uh, that's all I got for news for this week. Hey, this week I'm going to share a product that I got to hanging out with some cool people. It's from Mission First Tactical. It's the torch backup light. Low profile light about the size of a large beetle. And it fits on your Picatinny rail. It's a pressure pad activated light, and I think it's pretty cool for home protection. I got mine mounted on my AR um, now. It went on like just a screwdriver, and this thing has a 10-year storage lifespan. The battery, it came included. It's an LED light. It's a white light. Uh, it's bright as heck for a little thing, and uh, has a 12-hour burn time. Puts out about 20 lumens, and... I say it's uh, it's probably about maybe an inch and a half by inch in, in width. And once you stick it on the rail, it kind of disappears. It's really small. And if you, uh, I'll actually share this with you. I got an extra. So if you want one, the first person who comments on Black Man with a Gun dot com and ask for it I'll send it to you how about that ah see I got actually got a whole box of goodies um, from different vendors that I don't think I'll be using so if I can pass it on to you I might do that for the next couple of weeks share the goodies share the swag right so it's a mission first tactical torch series it's called the TBLW Torch Backup Light, and it's ready to go. All you need is a screwdriver. You can mount that bad boy right on your rail, and you'll have an easy light that you can click on, click off with your finger. Mm-hmm. So, first one who asked for it that I see on the comments on blackmanwithagun.com for episode number 383, I'll send it to you. How about that? Race wars, race riots. I'm only bringing this up because a couple of close friends, different times, not even knowing they were asking the same thing, 
pulled me to the side and said, hey, man, I'm just wondering, do you think there ever could be race riot again in this decade, this time period that we're in now? I said, well, anything is possible, but no, not really. We have a history of it. And I'm going to tell you where the similarity kind of begins. In each of the race riots, with a few exceptions, there's always been some extraordinary social conditions that happened during the time of the riot. Like there was a pre-war social change, a wartime mobility, a post-war adjustment, or an economic depression. So when you look at it like that, there is some stuff that pretty much happened. And it almost always occurs during the summer. So I'm not going to look at you cockeyed for thinking that. But it's not going to happen. Why am I so sure? Because there are so many veterans that have worked side by side with each other. And there's, that just breaks up the whole kookiness right there. The military plays an important part in whenever there was a race riot in our history. Always has. So let's go where it happened a lot. That would be the summer of 1919 called the Red Summer by James Weldon Johnson. It ushered in the greatest period of interracial violence the nation has ever witnessed. During that summer, there were 26 race riots in such cities as Chicago, Washington, D.C., Elaine, Arkansas, Charleston, South Carolina, Knoxville, and Nashville, Tennessee, Longview, Texas, and Omaha, Nebraska. More than 100 blacks were killed in these riots and thousands were wounded and left homeless. Never heard of it? I know, right? Also, there was one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921. Detroit, Michigan, 1943. So let's go way back. Just before the turn of the century in November of 1898, Wilmington, North Carolina exploded in the first major race riot since Reconstruction. The Wilmington riot followed an impassioned election campaign in which intimidation and fraud brought in by white supremacist government. Plans were drawn up before the election to coerce the black voters and workers and expel the editor of the black newspaper. Two days after the election, as whites began to execute their plan, the riot flamed. About 30 blacks were killed in a massacre and many left the city. The white mob suffered no casualties. One of the South's most sensational riots occurred in Atlanta, Georgia in September 1906. For months, the city had been lashed into a fury of race hatred by a movement to disenfranchise blacks. The Atlanta press had begun to treat black crime, especially assault and rape, in an inflammatory fashion. Twelve rapes of white women were reported in one week, giving the impression that there was an epidemic of black rape. Now, you remember what I said about that last week? Hey, where are the white women at? Now, this touched off a riot. White mobs meeting ineffective resistance by city police murdered blacks, destroyed and looted their homes and businesses. Blacks attempted to resist but were outnumbered. Some blacks were arrested for arming themselves in self-defense. When the four days of rioting ended, ten blacks and two whites were dead. Hundreds were injured and over a thousand fled the city. In Springfield, Illinois, during August 1908, a three-day riot took place initiated by a white woman or her claims of violation by a Negro. See, we're back to that same thing again. Inflamed by newspapers' sensationalism, crowds of whites gathered around the jail demanding that the Negro, who had been arrested and imprisoned, be lynched. Now, when the sheriff transferred the accused and another Negro to a jail in a nearby town, 
White mobs headed for the Negro section and attacked homes and businesses. Two blacks were lynched. Others were dragged from their houses and streetcars and beaten. And by the time the National Guardsmen reached the scene, six persons were dead, four whites and two Negroes. This riot in the hometown of Abraham Lincoln shocked white liberals who met the following year in New York City with several prominent blacks to form the NAACP to promote quality of uh, rights and eradicate caste or race prejudice. The East St. Louis, Illinois riot in 1917 was touched off by fear of white working men that Negro advances in economic, political, and social status were threatening their own status. When the labor force of the aluminum plant went on strike in April, the company hired Negro workers. Although the strike was crushed by a combination of militia, injunctions, and both black and white strike breakers, the union blamed its defeat on the blacks. A union meeting in May demanded that East St. Louis must remain a white man's town. A riot followed, sparked by a white man, during which mobs demolished buildings and blacks were attacked and beaten. Policemen did little more than take the injured to hospitals and disarm Negroes. Harassments and beatings continued through June. On July 1st, some whites in a Ford drove through the main Negro district shooting in their homes. Blacks armed themselves. When a police car, also a Ford, drove down the street to investigate, the blacks fired on it, killing two policemen. The next day, as reports of the shooting spread, a new riot began. Streetcars were stopped. Blacks were pulled off, stoned, clubbed, kicked, and shot. Other riders set fire to black homes. By midnight, the black section was in flames and blacks were fleeing the city. The worst of the post-war race riots took place in Chicago. It began late in July 1919 when a young black encroached upon a swimming area that the whites had marked off for themselves and was stoned until he drowned. By the time the riot ended 13 days later, thousands of both races had been involved in a series of frays. 15 whites and 23 Negroes were killed and 178 whites and 342 blacks were injured. More than 1,000 families, mostly blacks, were left homeless due to the burnings and general destruction of property. The Tulsa, Oklahoma riot took place May 31st to June 1st, 1921. A white girl charged a black youth with attempted rape in an elevator in a public building. The youth was arrested and imprisoned. Armed blacks came to the jail to protect the accused youth who was rumored would be lynched, of course. Altercations between whites and blacks at the jail led to a race war. A mob numbering more than 10,000 attacked the black district. Machine guns were brought in to use. Eight airplanes were employed to spy on the movements of the Negroes and, according to some, were used in bombing the colored section. Four companies of the National Guard were called out, and by the time order was restored, 50 whites and between 150 and 200 blacks were killed. Many homes were looted, and $1,500,000 was destroyed in property damage and fire by the fire. The riot in Detroit, Michigan in 1943 um, flared from an increased racial friction over the sharp rise in the Negro population, which led to competition with whites on the job and housing markets. So I could just keep on going, but you get it. Race riots were caused by a great number of social, political, and economic factors. Our company or our country is not in that great a shape at the moment, but it's not as bad as it was then. I said that it's the veterans that are keeping the lid on things now because there are parts of the country that are still rural and folks don't get around, but it's also in those parts where veterans, people who have worked with all races, 
kind of have integrated back home and they bring some common sense that people can kind of miss over because there are some spots in our country where it's really homogeneous. Nobody changes. Same thing, same thought. You get the mob thinking. Um, if you don't get any division or diversity, you can think that way. You can think that it's going to be a race riot, that it can be a problem. And if you only live on Facebook, there are some races, black and white, on that thing, and they say crazy stuff. Historically and tragically, the lynching was a big deal between 1882 and 1968. Uh, we probably lost about 3,500 people, no more than that, probably about 5,000 people to lynching um, over that time period. Even though there was a time when military was separate, segregated as well, and that was a problem, too, back in World War One and World War Two, and it kept on going until the services were integrated. I didn't even touch on that, but that was kind of like part of the part of the fight because it was these veterans who came home, um, had been fighting overseas, had been fighting racism, had been fighting, and they couldn't be free at home. There was a giant migration that had happened. Also during this time, there were so many families that left the South and went to these places in Illinois and D.C., Kansas and Detroit, looking for jobs, looking for opportunity. And when they did the American dream, when they got their businesses together, they displaced some other people and the streets ran red. So if you look back at history and you look at what happened after World War I, um, you saw the troops who came back home. You saw the economic issues. You saw the political issue. Um, some of that stuff we have going on right now. So I can understand why people are kind of wary and wondering if a race riot could appear. Thank God we're not as segregated as we used to be. And folks have a lot more chance to get news from other sources and check facts and not listen to rumors and Education is higher, so there's some things that are better. So I give you the no, it won't happen. Prayerfully, it won't happen. And of course, that's all based on history and just what I know and what I hope. Being an armed citizen means having a gun with you all the time. Carrying a firearm every day requires a holster that is both concealable and comfortable. Whether you choose our Super Tuck Deluxe or Mini Tuck, you'll have the confidence that comes from being discreetly and comfortably armed, prepared to face unforeseen dangers. Crossbreed holsters are handmade in the USA, come with a lifetime warranty and a two-week try-it-free guarantee. Order your holster today at crossbreedholsters.com. Open carry. Let's talk about it. Are we saying we're queer and we're here? The Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says that there is a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. It sounds simple, but there's been some consternation and opposition to it ever since it was written. Is it just for white men, some people say? Is it for all? Is it no longer necessary? Do we trust our government to keep us free? Well, why can't the government trust the people to keep and bear arms today? They're all great questions for debate and discourse. But our verbal intercourse doesn't stop there. 
We also dialogue within the ranks of gun owners on the validity of open versus concealed carry. Now, recently, the argument looked a lot like a gay rights parade to me. I remember when the word queer just meant strange or odd, but the times have changed. It became a derogatory word used against the GBLT, that's the gay, bi, lesbian, and transgendered crew, that some actually embraced and made it into a positive. Might be negative again, I don't know. If it is, let me know, I'll fix my rant. But has gun ownership come out? Is all this public display necessary? Has it moved past the reason of self-defense and become equal to a selfie? Are we all just running around trying to get more time in front of a camera, some press? Are we doing it at the expense of us all? Are open carry activists trying to desensitize the gun-phobic public like the gay activists basically shouting, we're queer and we're here, doing a parade? Now, I understand the premise. But this is not an empty holster demonstration or a group in sidearms. Is everybody that openly carries a rifle on the same page with the rest of us? I don't think so either. From my limited perspective, this worked for the GBLT community for several reasons. The gay people my age and older did not come out until recently. There has always been homosexuals. The difference, it seems, is the times, where today it's all hip just to be seen, and it supersedes everything else. I think those that openly display a rifle is not doing so for self-defense, but to be flamingly armed. You might as well wear a feather boa while you're at it. It's my observation that the RKBA community has successfully expanded into the mainstream of America and is now inclusive of more egoists than activists. Getting mad at the old guys that don't disagree or don't agree with these shenanigans isn't helping us as a group either. Gun owners have enough enemies of freedom to go around without our divisions. Unfortunately, I don't think our loud and proud open carry folks are going to succeed in assimilation on the coast states, the capitals, or the cities, as did the same-sex neighbors. I think it just give ammunition to the gun prohibitionists and the politicians that welcome the fresh images of idiots to change laws and steal more of our freedoms. You know what really is queer? That we're so free we screw ourselves. All right, I want to, again, I want to thank all the patrons on our patreon.com forward slash black man with a gun that are supporting the show and help keeping me alive. This is, uh, I'm doing it for you, and I really thank you for, for being here. If you want to check out something else that I'm working on, that's motorcycleradio.us. It's a podcast for those who ride and even those who are contemplating riding, trying to make that thing something uh, special. So check out MotorcycleRadio.us when you get a chance. And I almost forgot. Brother Aaron up in New York um, sent me this note. says that his beloved range in Ardsley, New York, is under attack. After 70-plus years incident-free and relatively good relations with nearby homes, they're about to um, be ex facto legislated out of existence an alleged bullet fragment escapement into the yard of one of the nearby new and expensive homes has the town of Greenberg, uh, New York, a weird county-like agglomeration of townships, drafting regulations pertaining to outdoor ranges, including a buffer zone of a quarter of a mile, and they're less than a quarter of a mile from 
um, occupied structures and there's no grandfathering provisions. So they're kind of in trouble. And uh, the police use this place a lot. And Aaron's asking if you're in the New York area, he could use your help. And he's asking uh, for all the people who are on the job and have used the range to please speak up. And if you know somebody who's used the Ardsley range, please nudge them and speak up and send an email to townboard at greenbergnewyork.com. And let's see. I'll try to put a link to it on the show notes just in case uh, you want to go and check that out. Ardsley, that's A-R-D-S-L-E-Y, and I'm sure it's pronounced some way better than that. But uh, you know how it is when you have an outdoor range that's been around a while and then those folks come in with the nice big houses and they no longer want their thing in there. Not in my backyard kind of thing. And unless somebody speaks up, it'll be gone. So it's time for us and those of you in the New York state area to speak up, especially if you're in the Greenberg, uh, New York spot. All right. Cool. Ken has spent decades as a gun rights activist, law enforcement, firearms instructor, federal agent, Christian pastor, father, or a friend. Get the book that tells what he couldn't say before. Head over to blackmanwithagun.com slash book now to get your copy today. All right. Until next week. Shalom, baby. To keep in touch with Ken and his cause, head over to blackmanwithagun.com. I seem to remember you're not too familiar with Colonel Colt's revolver, so this will be your first lesson. use for one. Never said I didn't know how to use it.